So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Easy Conversations. I just want to start off by saying thanks to everyone who listened to the last episode featuring our uncle, Pat Smith. Thanks a lot for coming on and uh, sharing those legendary stories. You absolutely killed it. And we'll definitely be having you on again down the road. So now for episode Patrice Bergeron, 37 of Easy Conversations. Extremely excited, of course, to be back with the homie Matt. Say what's up to the people. What's going on, everybody? Um, Excited to be talking about... uh, I mean, the subject tonight is one of my favorite things in the whole world, so I'm very pumped for that. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. And accordingly, we got a big guest. So our guest this evening is my friend who I actually met in the UK in 2016 when I went to study abroad, as did he. He's already been on the show. He's a recurring guest now. Not a big deal. It's the homie Justin Mocktinger. Say what's up to the people. Hey, uh, easy conversationalists and uh, other listeners. Uh, So glad to be back on. Uh, The first pod I was on, I had a blast doing. And uh, I think I realize now accordingly the fact that – Eric introduces as episode Patrice Bergeron. I now have been able to connect the dots that I was not able to do beforehand, but uh, completely, completely uh, off uh, off topic there. So we'll, we'll save that for another time. But uh, super excited to be back, and uh, I could uh, I can now say I've been on more than one. So am I, am I getting a special button or special uh, thing out of this? <laughs> we'll see if we can get a merch line going for you down the road. But uh, yeah, I thought I'd, I'd throw that little. Uh jab there the boston rivalry always gets a little rise out of you so that's why i threw that in there but regardless so for episode 37 we will be discussing like matt alluded to one of his favorite film series also one of mine justin as well which is why we're all coming together to talk about this movie trilogy which is the lord of the rings trilogy so in my opinion one of the greatest movie series of all time is definitely top five maybe top three in my books And um, yeah, we've prepared a pretty detailed episode for everybody, so we're going to be starting off by going around and all sharing when we were first introduced to this film series, or maybe it was through the books that we were introduced, who knows, I don't know. So um, maybe Justin, you can kick it off for us there and share your your inaugural viewing of the uh, Lord of the Rings movies or books. Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, how I was introduced uh, into the series and specifically into actually finally getting around to watching the movies um, was I was with a friend in uh, high school. And I don't know about you guys or any of the viewers, if you guys have ever heard of uh, the epic rap battles of history. Uh, it's a thing on YouTube where uh, they'll, they'll put the creators of the show will put uh, fictional and non-fictional characters together. And uh, recently they had uh, released at the time an episode, uh, Gandalf versus Dumbledore. And so my friend and I, we are huge fans of uh, Epic Rap Battles of History. And uh, we we, uh, watched the video and my friend, he had seen uh, all the Harry Potter movies up till that point, as well as all the Lord of the Rings movies. But um, I hadn't seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies uh, whatsoever. So he basically had to explain to me half of the battle because I basically understood what Dumbledore was saying, but I had really no clue what uh, Gandalf was saying. And so he said, you know what, dude, one day we're going to pick a day and we're going to watch 
all of them, okay? We're not going to take a break. We're just going to watch all of them all the way through because you just have to see all of them through so everything's fresh in your mind. So uh, one time uh, before uh, school had started, this would have been, uh, Eric, I know you and I were the same age, so this would have been uh, the summer going into grade 12 for the both of us because this was back in uh, 2011. And so uh, one rainy day, um, him and I, we were hanging out at my at my place and um, uh, it was yeah rainy day. We didn't really know what to do. And he's like, dude, we're watching the Lord of the Rings movies, all of them. So uh, we actually went to a blockbuster at the time. Nice. Uh, I was old enough that uh, those were still around and uh, we rented all three videos. We were able to find them and um, went back to my house. Uh, this was. I think we started around 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning and up until about midnight, we basically watched them throughout the day with a few like breaks in between for eating. But um, I was like, man, it took me till that point in my life to watch them. I was, I loved them. I absolutely loved them. Um, luckily two, uh, two out of the three, I forget which one, they were the extended editions too. So for anyone who has yet to see the Lord of the Rings movies, Highly recommend you need to uh, see the extended versions because uh, you can always pause it and take a bathroom break because uh, a lot of them, they're well over uh, three hours. So maybe uh, sneak one of those in uh, in between. But um, I saw two out of the three of them, the extended editions, and um, I was exhausted sort of by the end of everything, but well worth the whole day spent watching each of the movies. And I knew... As soon as I was done, then we had to give the movies back. I think within a couple of days. But I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta watch all these again. Like, they, they were incredible. So, so that was, um, that was my experience getting into uh, Lord of the Rings. That's a great story, uh, Justin. Um, <laughs> I mean, better late than never, right? Like you were, you you were aware they existed, and then you watched them, and you loved them after. That's great. To yeah. Hear. Yeah, I'm usually pretty slow at getting to uh, to recommendations people give me, but you know, the the right place at the right time, I'll I'll get to stuff, and usually I find all the time it's like, man, I really should start listening to people when they recommend stuff. But that's a, that's a conversation that, for another day. <laughs> How about you, Matt? What was your introduction to the trilogy? I'm assuming a little younger. Yeah, I was there from the very beginning. So basically, I was 10 years old when the first movie came out. And I remember seeing the trailer on TV and I was totally into it. Like, I'm like, I got to go see that. And my mom's like, really? It might be a little scary for you. But we, she took me anyways. So here I am in the theater. I'm 10 years old and I'm like, I don't know what to expect. The, mo we, the movie finishes and I was literally terrified of the orcs, Sauron, and just like a couple like the images. Like they scared the shit out of me. And I went home that night and I had nightmares. But I still like loved the movie, but I was terrified of it, mm -hmm. and I couldn't sleep for a week. But then next, the week after that, I went to see uh, the movie again, actually. So I saw it twice in the theater, and after the second time, I was not scared anymore. It was just greatness. And then the next year, I went to see part two, and the following year, part three. And I still remember to this day seeing Return of the King in the theaters. Like, it was an experience... Like none other, like I had chills throughout my body during the fight scenes and it was just, it's epic, like loud. Like the music is so loud in the theater and it was just one of the best theater experiences I've ever had. So I was just there from the very beginning. 
I, I can uh, definitely um, vouch for um, for how loud it could be. I know uh, when I uh, saw it with my friend in my basement, we purposely like kept it really loud, like almost theater level volume. And certain oh, nice. scenes, man, they just all of a sudden it's like quiet, quiet. Then all of a sudden it yeah. jolts you. So I can definitely vouch for uh, for what Matt said there. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I wish I I would have had the courage to go see those movies in theaters, but I like Justin and I would have been really young or like I guess ten by the time Return of the King came around, I think. Yeah. But uh, no, I definitely um, no, I, I wouldn't have been ready for that. I would have had nightmares <laughs> like you did as well, and probably worse than you. So, me, I was in grade seven. I still remember vividly, actually, home from school. I was sick. And I watched Fellowship of the Ring because like my, I knew my parents loved the movies and I had heard from friends even that it was an amazing trilogy and that I had to see it. So I was always, if you know me well or even through listening to these podcasts, I think I've, I haven't been shy about saying that I used to be terrified of everything basically in movies. Like Harry Potter, philo- the Philosopher's Stone, we had to walk out of that. But that's a story for another day. So yeah, I thought like, okay, I'm 12 years old. There, I think I can take this on. And um, my mom watched it with me, Fellowship, and she told me for the the classic Bilbo, uh, rah, like jump mm. up there at Frodo for the ring. Mm. There, she told me not to look at that, and I'm glad she did. Actually, I just got over that a few years ago, but. Um, <laughs> That, yeah, that was the the effects on that. How he goes from That's, just normal to like uh, that is next level uh, ring ship there. Like that, that's an all timer. Uh, but the real test for me was when they got to the mines of Moria. Was like that. That's the first time you really get to see action in the trilogy and in, in that movie. Obviously, there. So I was unsure. And they build it. There's a long build up to that scene where they're finally going to clash with the orcs. And I, I don't think you see them up until that point, really. So then you finally get to see what these things look like. And I thought it was going to be some gruesome, disturbing action. And it really wasn't. Like, you got some decapitations, limbs flying here and there. But it's all so fast and it's dark. You don't see that well. And I was like, yeah, I think I can handle this. And I did. So after that, I watched all the rest of the movies and everything was good. Loved it ever since. So yeah, 2006. It's my... Uh, introduction to this trilogy classic it's crazy to think the movies are like 20 years old pretty much and like they still hold up and uh and like to me like i like because i've been there since the beginning they're very nostalgic to me like i don't i can't find any flaws in the movies because they're movies from like when i was that age where everything was good that i watched Mm -hmm. like it holds a special place in my heart because of that nostalgia so no, I yeah, love I, hearing stories about that. Yeah, kind of like um, what Eric said. I think the first movie, I believe it came out in 2001, I believe. And yeah. so Eric and I, we would have been seven years old. So I think um, uh, Gollum Smeagol alone probably would have given us nightmares to last us years. So maybe it was a good thing that we, we didn't see them when they first came out. But um, I remember, I think, being really young... Um, having this random memory actually of being at my uncle's house for some uh, like holiday dinner or some family dinner and he was saying actually even to me back then that I should watch those movies but I was like man I have no interest in that and I think on the uh, the DVD cover that he had 
um, Smeagol really stuck out uh, to me on the cover. And I guess I, I'll get into, we'll, we'll definitely be getting into more detail with him later on in the pod, but just sort of seeing that like really bony, like almost skeleton like face, but with this big bulging, like ghostly pale blue eyes it just stuck with me and i'm like no i am not watching that movie i do not want to see what that character is i don't know what that thing is but keep it away from me you're like i want so, nothing to do with that <laughs> just yeah no. that thing there i don't know what that is but keep it away from me yeah no thank you no i, I can definitely relate to that i might actually like you alluded to earlier i remember seeing trailers for lord of the rings when i was younger when the movies were going into theaters and i was terrified like there's no way i was gonna go see those movies in theaters mm. But I wish I had seen them in theaters. That would have been awesome. But yeah, no, it's not the case. Channel all solid intros to the the movies. Have any of you read the books, by the way? Just wondering. Or... Yes, I've read. I've read the books. Okay. They're, I mean, they're. I'll be honest. They're a little dated. Like they're a lot of description, and it's just a big turnoff for modern readers. I find. Like it's a slog. Yeah, I, I personally have not. Um, I feel like maybe I've seen them before at like a Chapters or an Indigo and I took like one look at how many pages it was and I'm like, yeah, no thank you. Like, I could definitely appreciate uh, the detail that J.R.R. Tolkien uh, put into them, but I mean, I, I, I've never read any of the Harry Potter books partially because of just how long they were and I remember uh, being at like a sleepover camp where... Um, uh, the final book, uh, everyone was reading it and trying to make sure that spoilers weren't given for that. But I'm like, nah, can't do it. I don't have the, the patience or the, the wherewithal really to read that. Uh, even though at the time I liked reading. And then once I got to university and textbook reading became mandatory, I don't think, uh, I picked up a book and read a book since then because of it. But, uh, I do enjoy reading, but I usually stick to my online sport articles. Just quickly, here's the main difference between the books and the movies. So in the book, Helm's Deep is like three pages long. In the movie, it's like 50 minutes. But the meeting in the book of Treebeard and Merry and Pippin could be like 45, 50 pages. Whereas in the movie, it's like five minutes. It's There's no battle sequences in the books. It's just detailing what happened after the fact. I think that's kind of standard, though, in books in general. The battles are normally describe fairly quickly as to what happens and how much time happens during the battle but then the movie will really bring it to life and make it a longer like grandiose spectacle right so yeah like what's going to capture an audience is uh like name not imagination but like uh, their attention you know is going to be a battle scene that even though in the book was like only three pages longer is going to be like a conversation between uh, Treebeard and the other uh, ends uh, trying to figure out if uh, Mary and Pippin are orcs or not. <laughs> as, as much as I do like that scene and I do, uh, especially uh, Mary in, the, in that scene, I really do like how uh, his character, uh, not to maybe get into too much detail, but I feel like his character really is elevated within uh, that scene, yeah. I feel like um, it's really, yeah, it's are it's like, do the Ents consider Pippin and Mary to be orcs? Yes, no, no, they don't. Okay, cool. Next, next scene, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's a good take on Mary. Like that's a probably a pivotal moment for him in the in the movies. But now mm -hmm. we can move on to our next item, which is we listed our top three moments 
of each movie. So we're going to start off with Fellowship of the Ring and then go around, share. I can start us off here, do like a reverse snake order. So I actually started watching Fellowship of the Ring again last night just to get some some last minute um, ideas maybe flowing a little. And I had already written my three um, moments, but then I added a fourth. So I don't know, I might just adapt on the fly here because I do want to include the new one that I added. So my first one will be, what was originally my first one, is the road to the village of Bree. So basically, to me, I, I like that segment in the movie. And I don't know if this is too long for what we had discussed we were going to do. But anyways, this is my moment. So it basically describes like the loss of innocence for the hobbits, who are basically our children throughout the, um, the trilogy. And they essentially have no idea the realm or the world that they're stepping into by leaving the Shire. And I just picked up on this yesterday, how they really make a point of making that point that they, geographical point that they cross in the Scarecrow, in the farmer's field where Sam has Mm -hmm. never gone past this Scarecrow and he has no idea what he's stepping into when he actually passes that Scarecrow. But it all starts with the road to Bree, which is not that far from the Shire, but or from Hobbiton, but it's still a fairly significant checkpoint for the Hobbits to reach. And it's also their first encounter with death, essentially. They're the, the Black Rider, and then Mary, again, who seems to pick up on things much quicker than other Hobbits, identifies that, okay, we're um, what are we getting ourselves into here? Are, these, are there going to be even more threats such as comparable to this man or entity, whatever, along the way? And Mary was right in that moment, right? So... Always like the road to Bree. I also just like the interactions in the inn. We get to see Aragorn for the first time. Strider, solid intro to him. The sweet character. And um, yeah, I think that's about it there for my Bree breakdown. That's my, that's no, my it's moment. Very, very good, Eric. Um, I love the scene like uh, where he hops the, the little fairy mm, to make yep. it across the water just before. Like that, that whole sequence is edited really well with the riders and them running. Yeah. Love that. And like it's getting darker and darker and by the time the sequence ends it's nighttime. Yeah, it's, yeah it's I think good. they they did a really good uh they really sort of brought you in and like with the chase, like is is Frodo gonna make it or is he going to get caught uh by the Nazgul's and uh eventually uh the build up, the build up and then eventually once he jumps off and lands with uh with the rest of the hobbits and the Nazgul's are kinda obviously they don't have faces, but they're kinda like, hmm. Well, I guess we'll have to take the long way and do this. Like, it, it was probably that was like the first scene where um, they did a really good job in bringing you in. Like this is sort of what the what the movie is now going to be. Like we're we're going away from uh, from the Shire, from like this happy sort of little slice in uh, the middle of the earth. To this is now what Middle Earth uh, is going through. So seeing through, first, told yeah. sort of through the, the the eyes of the Hobbit. So. So definitely, definitely good choice there in terms of, uh, of a scene. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I'm just going to highlight not like, like three moments in the movie that not, aren't necessarily like the biggest climactic scenes, but just three moments like that are, I, I guess, underrated or that I really love. Okay, I like first, it. the first one is, uh, when the fellowship, they're walking on like top of the mountain in the snow mm-hmm. and then Frodo stumbles and the ring pot, like, he can't find the ring, and then Boromir is holding on to it, and I just love what he says, he says, uh, it is a strange fate that we should suffer so much fear and doubt over such small, small a thing, 
And I, I love that quote. I love everything Boromir says. In, Big in, Boromir in the movie, guy. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to hide the fact like he's one of my favorites. Uh, I just love it's a, it's a small scene, but I love it because Aragorn's look to Boromir after like, OK, I'm, I, I know what you're like. I'm, I'm keeping my eye on you and Frodo looking at Boromir like I, I love that scene. So, yeah, that's my that's my uh, first entry. No, I like it. That's a solid, uh, I don't want to say obscure pick, but it's a little, little moment that actually has a lot of symbolic meaning in that, like you said, Aragorn's now aware that, okay, this guy, maybe he already had that um, idea that Boromir mm-hmm. would be easily tempted or corrupted, and now he's seen it firsthand that this is someone who may be a problem for our, our fellowship and be a hurdle mm-hmm. to overcome in our mission. So no, it's a good, uh, good moment. Nice visual shot too. Walking in the snow is always nice in movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fro- Frodo tripping uh, o- over his two feet, I find, also becomes a, just a random theme in the movie. That always that my friend, when we were watching, he told me, uh, I guess maybe his view at the time of Frodo and how, yeah, he's the main character, but there are definitely there's a lot more layers to him. Some good, some good, and some bad. And I, I always uh, just thought it's like man you've had two, your two large feet all your life what's what's with the uh tripping over yourself and over things like snow ground pretty sure he'd trip in water too if he was able to to walk through that but uh hey he's, that, he's that clumsy. I always found, yeah it's very clumsy for someone with uh such responsibility throughout the movie but i guess that uh that goes uh goes into the many layers that is frodo baggins um uh, I know uh, one of my favorite scenes, actually, as well. Maybe not a huge one, but uh, definitely one that uh, rewatching actually uh, a couple weeks ago when I was doing it, I really, really enjoyed. And that was um, when the Fellowship they were finally in the Mines of Moria, and then they go into the room, sort of where uh, they learn where uh, all of the dwarves eventually uh, fought to their death. Um, Mar- uh, sorry, Pippin, not Mary. Pippin is. Um, sort of looking at one of the um uh, of the dwarves and sort of accidentally knocks it over and little known to him knocks it all the way down and it creates such a loud noise because you just bounce like you hear it bouncing off of, and it seems never ending and then just the facials that um that pippin had and gandalf probably with one of his first uh, moments of savagery in uh in in the in the whole trilogy he's just like Fool of a took. Next time, throw it yourself down there and rid us of your stupidity. Yeah. It's just like, Classic. whoa, man, cop. <laughs> that that scene, I think, is I think it was a really uh, good attention to detail because right now, like, there's so much tension in there. Like, you're realizing that um, uh, Gimli, he's essentially lost uh, his family and his kin, and he sort of is realizing, like, man, like it's it's just me now. So what am I gonna do? But um, uh, I think that that moment in there was a really nice uh, attention to detail in terms of, um, you know, just sort of cutting uh, the bit of tension that uh, that was in, involved. Yeah, great, great pick. That That's whole set, Balin's tomb, the whole set and action sequence that takes place after is phenomenal. So, and there's the dramatic buildup too of Gandalf reading the the records of the, the slaughter that happened in that scene right before that we obviously didn't see. And then it kind of gets broken up with that kind of comedic moment, but that ultimately brings danger to them. So there's a lot of layers in there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Minds of Moria is a classic and that's a great 
pinpointed pick out of that scene. Agreed. <laughs> so we can just go you again, Justin, a nice back to back. Give us our your uh, second pick. Uh, second pick. Um, I don't. I don't know if this is necessarily a favorite scene of mine, but it's definitely a memorable one. I remember uh, first uh, when I was first uh, watching the movie, and we're introduced uh, to Galadriel, which is uh, Kate Blanchett's character. Yep. But uh, sort of when Frodo presents the ring to her, sort of to say like, "Can you please help me with this?" And then she all of a sudden goes from like this calm, noble elf to like that creepy scary like the the green screen and the voice and the oh my god and with loud no like that scene i think actually out of maybe every scene throughout the trilogy probably scared me the most because i was not expecting that whatsoever and so that scene definitely every time now i'm re-watching that movie i'm just like at the edge of my seat or at the back of my bed if i'm watching in bed just like oh it's coming it's coming don't do that don't do that (laughs) that scene absolutely just I scared the you-know-what out of me. But, um, yeah, the first time watching it, too, eventually once she sort of gets over it and she's like, I'm, like, uh, she she realizes that she sort of passed her test and that she wasn't going to be tempted by the ring. And my friend sort of told me, like, see, she's good. I'm like, no, she's not. What the hell was that thing that just happened? Get her away from me. I don't want to see her again. So, not maybe not an overall significant moment, but definitely... Probably my most uh, single most memorable scene from from the Fellowship was that one because it absolutely scared the crap out of me. It's an interesting pick. I also despise that scene. Always scared me as well when I was younger, especially there. And um, it's just disturbing a little bit too. And she it does get really creepy and the voice she uses and stuff. It, it's yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that scene but hey it stuck with you and also stuck with me but yeah it's just <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i agree with you guys yeah like matt when you uh, saw that in theaters did that scene maybe make you jump out of your seat or kind of like really maybe if you weren't paying as much attention it really like like okay I'm, I'm i'm watching now i promise yeah See, yeah, like when I was a kid, all the dialogue scenes were boring for me. So that did like jolt me out of my uh, not like understanding anything. And I was like, oh, what's going on now? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, I'll go with my second favorite now. Yep. This, the, my second favorite scene in the movie is Gandalf standing on the bridge of Khazad Doom, staring at the Balrog, and that whole scene basically. His, his showdown with the Balrog. It's. I mean, it's like the first image I think of when I think of Fellowship of the Ring. And I people who haven't seen the movie, like, like if they're aware of Lord of the Ring, they may, may have seen that scene and, like, you know, other clips of stuff. Um, anyways, it's, it gives me chills watching that mm-hmm. scene when he, like, breaks the bridge. Or when the, ga- when the Balrog steps on the bridge and it breaks and it's falling. Love that. Love that. The, the white wizard facing off with Satan, basically, or a demonic presence, right? Holds his own and almost had him, or as we do know, watching the other movies, did beat him. But no, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a classic scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. I think um, that scene, I think, is one of the many uh, good memes that has also come from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I don't know if you guys have... Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure you have, but in, I know one of my favorite memes is um, 
back when we were in university and we're like right before an exam, it's like, oh, so, uh, professor, is this exam going to be easy? You shall not pass. It's classic. Okay, then. Uh, thanks. <laughs> so classic, classic scene that you can easily uh, put into even uh, other scenes and other movies. And I think it would uh, it wouldn't look too out of place. So That's amazing. An, choice another there. classic Gandalf quote right there. That's a great pick. So me, my other pick that I mentioned earlier that I got from my viewing yesterday was the battle with Sauron's army during the prologue. So basically just the entire prologue in itself gives us a nice Mm -hmm. glimpse into what the world under Sauron's dominion and just influence, fear factor, etc. was. Is that this is a formidable villain that we never get to see in the flesh in the trilogy other than during that prologue. So a little side tangent here. I'd love to see his character really be fleshed out and developed in a future Lord of the Rings work. If that's what they're going to go down that path with the TV series, that'd be amazing to me because I'd love to see what Sauron in his prime could do with better visual effects as well. Right. We see what the ring gives to him and that he's sweeping uh, through, like just carving through the army with his mace, but we could see that on a greater scale in a TV series anyway. So just in the movie, we see how remarkable he is as a, a fighter, a warrior, and um, just a figure to be respected and feared. And then we get to see man be corrupted, of course. And, um, yeah, I get some nice background on what the ring has endured to get to Bilbo. Um, I think it's great. And then we get to see it later on in the movie as well with Elrond's recalling of man failing that day in ending evil. So there's a lot of things at stake in this uh, prologue that I find very interesting. And that's my second pick of the movie. Mm-hmm. No, that's the prologue is better than most movies that come out like nowadays. Like the, the showing the last alliance between men and elves and like how formidable their armies were back then. Like you look at their armies now and you're like, ooh, but like back then they're like full strength, marching into freaking Mordor. So mm-hmm. no, the prologue is epic. It gets you right in the movie and you're ready for the ride. Mm-hmm. No, definitely great choice, and I think. Um... In, in the prologue, how I think they basically, it basically captures how Sauron, he really isn't, he's not a, a being, he's basically sort of just like this makeup of evil, and I think that's part of the reason why um, once he gets his uh, fingers cut off, he's not, we, we uh, they assume at the time that he's dead, he isn't dead, he's just sort of weakened, and how basically his spirit sort of like comes up and sort of just uh like dissipates um but the ring is still left over it just shows you how powerful and what this ring represents like this ring is essentially evil incarnate but um very easy to uh to play off especially in the species of men like how easily corrupted um their minds can be and just sort of how there was that opportunity to destroy it back then back when like it seemed like every day uh everyone was in war and they were prepared for it and they didn't they didn't take the opportunity to do it and how that ended up, of course, leading into, into the whole uh, trilogy of the Lord of the Rings. So definitely, definitely good pick there. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like the failure to act that day essentially allowed evil to continue to, to thrive in the shadows there in the shadows in the East. 
and eventually come back. But yeah, no, it's just quickly there how um it's interesting, Matt, how in our episode where we covered villains, Sauron, I don't know about you there, but what didn't even come to mind for me because when you think of Lord of the Rings, there like the, the aspect the villain is basically temptation, right? Vanity, everything the ring represents, but isn't a physical entity. But Sauron was a physical entity at the beginning, just in the prologue, right? So that's why I think he never because Saruman's a great villain there. We can talk about that later there, but it's just a little food <laughs> for thought that I thought of. Are you going again, Eric? Yes, I'm going to go again. I just wanted to add that in there. Just pepper that. And now, yes, I'll give my no, last, a good, uh, my good last point. pick. Um, so I think this this may be one of your guys' moments as well. To me, it's um, uh, it's a classic there, an easy pick. I'm going to go with Boromir's Redemption. To me, it's it's my favorite moment of the movie. the The final act is the most exciting, in my opinion, because we get the grand action sequences and everything there. But what Boromir does in that scene completely redeems his character. Where at first, the first time you watch this movie, Boromir is just an absolute scumbag. You do not like mm-hmm. this character. I don't care how you spin it. Matt, you did not like Boromir the first time you saw it. I'm telling you, that's how you felt. Anyways. More into that later. More so, into that later. Okay, so I'll speak for myself then. I didn't sympathize for him. It's only until you get to see what his past was like and what his outside pressures were from his father, from his people, that we kind of under no, we definitely understand where he's coming from. In that his people are directly affected by Sauron's dominion. So to him. The way to end that his people suffering is I need to get this ring, bring it back, be the hero that my people see me as and my father sees me as and wants me to be and then I'll be able to free my people. So we see him as a selfish character in Fellowship but then upon further viewing and upon seeing Two Towers we see him as more selfless and being kind of pushed to to act a certain way. All this to say in Fellowship, at the end of Fellowship I think most of us can agree on that Boromir, Boromir is redeemed. He's a good guy. He took like, what is it, five Urukai length arrows to the to the chest and kept fighting like a champ. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we can relate to him. That's that's another thing that we can talk about later. There's how Boromir is a character we can relate to because he's human, falls into temptation. We see that in the snow. Matt, great moment. And um, yeah, he's just that he goes out like an absolute legend. And that's my moment of, uh, that's my number three or number one of fellowship. So I'm going to piggyback off of that because that's my number one moment too. And I'll just more specifically talk about like when Aragorn dispatches the Urukai and then he goes to Boromir who's dying. And what Boromir says to Aragorn there is like almost, almost brings a tear to my eye. Mm-hmm. Like it's like when he's like, I would have followed you anywhere. My captain, my king. It's it's devastating and yeah, mm-hmm. everything Eric said ring is exactly what I was gonna say. So same moment. Yeah, I just uh, just add into that moment. I think as well, like one of his uh, dying sen- sentences, he does ask um, like where Frodo is and if the ring is safe. And Aragorn Aragorn uh, told him that uh, like the. Um, it was safe, and so uh, Boromir then was like, "Well, y- you succeeded where I failed." So even in his dying breath, he w- he felt ashamed that he was uh, corrupted by the ring. But you then, I think, really empathized that it's like, you know what? Maybe we judged him uh, too harshly and way too early, and that like, you know what? This guy 
Uh, he was sorry for uh, trying to take the ring from Frodo and that it kind of drove him to act out of character, but that in the end, you know what, he, he redeemed himself by, uh, by uh, saving the ring, protecting the fellowship till his dying breath. And uh, kind of uh, the only, the only thing I want to nitpick is five arrow shots. Like that's a little, I know adrenaline's a, a heck of a thing, but like, that's a little, I don't know if he should be the OP character in that, in that case, but you know what, I'm, I'm nitpicking. So I, dig- I digress from that. It was three arrows, and, like, the fourth one pretty much took him down. So not five. But, yeah, I see what you're saying. They missed all Uh, vital organs. (laughs) Clearly. But then again, Frodo can take a huge spear to the chest, and his mithril saved him. So come on. That would have broken his ribs. Bulletproof (laughs) mithril walks it off. Yeah, exactly. Bulletproof. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... Sort of within the same scene, but actually the uh, towards the end of the movie, um, my next scene is where uh, Frodo essentially leaves by himself. He's paddling out because uh, he realizes that um, he can't stay with this group. He finds that it's his fault that um, all these orcs are attacking him because he's the one who's responsible to, uh, to destroy the ring. And so as he's uh, setting off by himself, uh, Sam, is, Samwise is going after him and then he sees him and he's saying, Frodo, I'm coming with you. And, um, Frodo basically told Sam, like, don't come with me. I'm doing, I have to do this by myself. Sam literally starts swimming out to where he is. Frodo tells him, you can't swim. What are you doing? He still kept going. And I think that that was such a huge moment of friendship that Sam was literally willing to kill himself in that moment because way back at the beginning of the movie, Gandalf had told him uh, because he was eavesdropping. I ain't dropping no eaves, sir. I promise. (laughs) But um, how um, basically Gandalf instructed him, you need to protect Frodo at all costs. You are going to fall everywhere he goes. You need to be there. And I think that that is such a great moment of friendship that, so he was literally willing to die in that moment because he saw how much pain Frodo was in and he knew and felt that it was his responsibility to be there with him. So Frodo uh, wouldn't make this journey by himself. So I think that was that was a really good moment to sort of counteract the Boromir death and how uh, everyone was uh, feeling there. Uh, Pippin and Mary had been captured. The fellowship in a way was kind of broken up till that point. They thought that Gandalf was dead and that he was not coming back. And so I think that little moment of, you know what, even in dark times, friendship will, will last forever. And I think it's, it's definitely good if you could find like that one friend who maybe don't, don't drown yourself to save them, but you know, something along those lines, you know, that you're there for each other, I guess, through, through thick and thin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a powerful moment there. A true display of friendship. Yeah, no, it's uh, well said on your part there. I don't, I don't have much else to add there. But then we basically know that these two now are going to be in it together on their own. We'll be joined by another character shortly who used to terrify us on DVD covers. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great moment for sure. Yeah, very well said, uh, Justin. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. So part two now? Yeah, yeah. now we can move on to Two Towers. Two Towers. Justin, you want to kick us off again? Sure, Back Two to Towers. Back. And I guess maybe saying this early on, this probably was my favorite out of out of the three. There's Because it's tying everything together, and I think there were so many 
so many great moments um, within uh, within the two towers, especially in the extended uh, version. So if you're ever watching it, try to definitely this one. I highly recommend if you were to see just one of the movies, the extended version, it has to be the two towers. Um, but my first scene, I think I'm going to uh, start us off um, probably just with uh, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, their whole journey towards the beginning. So you know how they are, they're trying to save uh, Pippin and Mary because they have no clue where Frodo and Sam uh, went off. They're like, you know what, it's, it's in fate's hands now. We, we need to let them go. But we do know that Pippin and Mary were t uh, captured from us. And I think just seeing the track by foot, day by day, like little little food, little rest. Gimli, I think, summarized what would happen if I was in that situation to a T. I would 100% be the one trailing my friends. They'd be like, come on, Justin, let's go. Can't we stop? <laughs> some sort of food, some sort of rest, anything. And it would just be absolute cardio nightmare for me. And I, uh, so I think um, their journey up until... Um, once they finally do uh, come into contact with uh, Gandalf, even though he isn't the Gandalf from the first movie, just seeing their their journey and seeing what they were willing to do to not only save their friends, but to make sure that um, the fellowship stayed together in some sort of way and would stay strong. I think that was um, that was definitely one of my favorite scenes and just seeing really all where, wherever the movie was shot, seeing the countryside and all the mountains and beautiful, just head, head, hands down a beautiful, beautiful moments. Wow. Jeez. Again, well said. Uh, yeah. I like that whole foot chase scene too. And uh, the dialogue's great. And yeah, Eric. Yeah, me too. Like that um, scene. Well, hey, whenever we get yeah. to my uh, moments, or may or may not be there, who knows? We'll see. That was good. <laughs> all, right, all right. So my, uh, my for number three for me is uh, the scene where Gandalf basically kicks out Saruman out of Theoden's head. Mm, yeah. Like that whole scene in the in the mm. hall. Uh, no, I love everything about it. Like when Grim was like, "I told you to take his staff." <laughs> yeah, and, you know, that's shit's about to go down. So basically that whole scene i love and then theoden opening like reawakening and saying like oh, like the transition like great visual effects yeah, big yeah. so that's my number three. Oh, that's a great moment for sure i love that scene too I'm, i despise worm tongue but yeah. he's still a character you feel bad for there but in that moment he, he has a pretty funny line there with i told you to take the wizard staff that's classic yeah <laughs> No, um, and up until that point too, Theoden's just basically a a waste of space in a throne, basically there. So yeah. we get to um, see what he can do as a leader from that moment on, and um, you basically acquire a huge ally moving forward. So that's a that's a big get for the squad for sure. Um, yeah, I can go into my pick now. Um, like Justin said as well, I loved about this movie that we get a bunch of different storylines and groups that we're following throughout the movie. And um, I think you alluded to a few of the groups, so I'm going to hone in on one, especially at the end there. You're talking more about Merry and Pippin, their escape from the Urukais and Orcs. That's one of my favorite scenes. That'll be my number three moment when they get into the forest of Fangorn. 
and uh, they get the orc Grishnak to follow them into the uh, into the woods, and um, that's just a little bit of a, so there's some tension in that scene too, a bit of a, a rush to see if he's gonna get them or not, and ultimately then we get Treebeard introduced as the savior. So that's a nice moment, but the reenactment of their escape at the camp is what I love the most. Like that's an interesting storytelling device where it looks like Pippin got crushed by the horse of the um, the Rohan, uh, the Riders of Rohan. Yeah, that's a solid, um, different way of telling what happened to the Hobbits, and uh, I'm a fan. It's my number three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we I think we covered it already. There, I can I can just go on to my next one. <laughs> so number two would be this extends also to Return of the King, but for Two Towers. Basically, every Smeagol Gollum internal conversation just kills me every time. And Andy Serkis is a phenomenal actor that needs to be in every single uh, major uh, film series. And he pretty much is. But Gollum is definitely the, the one that put him on the map, I think, in terms of motion capture acting especially. And... Um, yeah, there's a bunch of classic interactions between the two of them when he's talking to himself. They're the, um, like, you don't have any friends. There's just some good some good comedy in the, the delivery between Gollum's telling... Gollum telling Smeagol that he needs him and the only reason he survived is because of Gollum. But Smeagol is now seeing that there could be a possibility of life with his new friend and master, Frodo. And, um, yeah, I like that dynamic. I think when we watched Lord of the Rings, Two Towers and Return of the King, my uh, my mom is not a fan of the, the Frodo storyline, so that basically gets fast-forwarded every time, but when I can be alone... Or we watch we watch the Smeagol Gollum mm. scenes there, but Frodo Sam is just... That gets the skip. But um, <laughs> it just goes to show how, how much of an impact Smeagol has in every single scene. He steals the show, in my opinion. So that would yeah, be my number definitely. two. definitely. That's... It gets the skip. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, it gets fast forwarded. That's just how she oh, goes God, sometimes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I understand. They're but long we, movies. We've seen the movies so many times, right? And uh, yeah, it's a three and a three and a half hour commit. I mean, I love Two Towers, but and it's not my call at the end of the day. So there you go. Um, okay, my number two is the scene where like Mary and Pippin have convinced Treebeard to like walk them home passing close to Isengard and then Treebeard emerges from the clearing and sees all like the cut down trees and he gets freaking furious and he's like a wizard should know better and then he 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 roars or whatever you call that and all his buddies come and they attack Isengard epic moment the music is perfection like amazing yeah yeah I think um that moment definitely was really what turned the favor in terms of uh, the fellowship and uh, and their um, their fight against um, uh, Saruman and Sauron's army at the time because uh, they were trying to get uh, Treebeard and his Ents on their side. Obviously, given their physical strength, they'd be able to take anyone on, but uh, they didn't want to get involved because, like Treebeard said earlier to them, like no one's on his on his side so or no one's on the forest side so we're we're not going to involve ourselves in uh the fight of men and orcs and as long as uh 
they them uh, Pippin and Mary themselves weren't orcs that they weren't uh, gonna ki uh, kill them, which uh, I know I said earlier they they figured that out. But I think definitely that was the the pivotal moment in terms of helping them uh, win that uh, that battle. Um, but uh, good good choice there, Matt. I definitely uh, agree and really like that scene. Um, my uh, sorry, Eric, maybe to take it from you, but I'm gonna transition into my. Uh, yeah, um, I, I don't know if this maybe is my second favorite scene of the whole movie, but I think it's definitely, um, it helps develop the Smeagol-Frodo relationship, and that is when they're in the Dead Marshes, and for the life of me, I have absolutely no idea why Frodo decides to stare into, um, into I think it was, um, I feel like that was maybe a, a former king, I'm not sure if that was a uh, human or elf, but... He just is drawn to this character and um, uh, Smeagol Gollum tells him like, whatever you do, don't go like, don't go in there. Cause you're going to die. If you go into, into the water, just like stay on, on the, the marshy part decides whatever reason, Hey, I'm drawn to this guy. And then all of a sudden the character opens his eyes and he falls right into the, into the water. And you see sort of all the spirits coming to get uh, Frodo. He's completely, freaked out of his mind and then he's saved not by sam but by smeagol mm -hmm. and smeagol basically reminds him like don't like what are you doing don't do this mm -hmm. and i think um that really helps sow the seeds of frodo trusting uh smeagol way more than he should and sam obviously he was completely aware like you can't trust this guy like he's uh he's a murderer he's there he's off all he cares about is the ring but i think frodo sort of empathized with him because he realizes how much power the ring truly holds over uh, smeagol and how he's sort of um tasked with carrying it it sort of becomes his burden so i believe that that sort of strikes up that relationship between why um frodo trusts him so much and i think throughout the movie i think you even can tell because Sam calls him, refers to him as Gollum all the time, and he refuses to call him Smeagol because he's like, he's not him anymore. Like, this is who he is. He's going to, like, deceive you. He's going to trick you because all he cares about is the ring. But Frodo re refers to him as Smeagol as to one, what he once was, and he, he believed that there was still some good or something to be saved uh, within him. Uh, and that there was more to him than just him wanting the ring. So I think that... The, the Dead Marshes scene definitely captures uh, that moment very, very well. And it's sort of a nice little breakup from what was going on with uh, with the rest of the Fellowship and what they were doing. Yeah. Oh, I like it. That's I mean, it's a good take on good the scene. scene. And to be honest, like when I'm talking about scenes we skip, we normally skip that one. But <laughs> that's um, an interesting point in that Smeagol, like Frodo begins to trust Smeagol as of that point a lot more and sees the good in him. Uh, you covered it really well there, and that's mm -hmm. it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I guess uh, my number one scene. Are we uh, sorry? We're shooting it back to me, or yeah. one of you guys? Yeah. Perfect. Um, uh, so I think I feel like this might be a universal one for all of us, but I think definitely when um, they're fighting, they're backed up in the tower, and they turn. I believe it was to the east at dawn. They see the sunlight coming in, and they realize. We've survived this long. Gandalf told us that to look here at this time. And I think by then, the music, of course, sets it up. They realize, you know what? 
they don't obviously know that there's help coming, but there's, uh, they, they're like, you know what? We're not just going to sit here and cower. We're going to defend to our last breath and we're, we're going out swinging essentially. And just seeing everyone come out, they're riding horses, they're taking orcs down. And then obviously leading to, um, to, uh, the riders of Rohan eventually coming back and, and, uh, helping and aiding them definitely, uh, turn the tides, uh, for sure. So easily favorite favorite moment of the two towers going down that yeah, steep hill on horses no problem but anyways yeah no it's a... not it's not that steep if you rewatch it it's not that bad i i've, I've analyzed that scene because i, I, I thought the same thing it's not that steep no, I, I was my, that's my number like, one scene yeah no go ahead justin sorry no i was just gonna agree with uh actually with eric but uh to your point as well matt it it, it was very it was very steep and i was like i no. know once again should i be nitpicking but man that is like how are they not just automatically like tripping over themselves i mean we see frodo do it all the time on uphill downhill wet no, ground no, 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 soft no. ground all that so okay listen <laughs> we can run as humans we can run down a steep hill but these are horses they have four legs they're fine they can run down the hill no problem but <laughs> sorry <laughs> this is my number of it's my favorite moment as well and only aragorn knows that gandalf may or may not show up so like when he looks around and then you have that perfect music cue like probably in the whole series and then you see gandalf pop up and then aomir right after um epic it just sends chills through my body and uh right i was gonna say something else you distracted me with the whole hill <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> yeah but no it's my uh, it's my it's the best part of the movie it's yeah. just it's great yeah i mean i wrote down the battle of helms deep so i can focus oh, okay. more on the battle itself than that moment which is obviously a classic i love when uh Gandalf the White rolls up with Aomir. Aomir is an unreal character in his own rights as well. Mm -hmm. We can discuss later mm -hmm. as well there for specific characters and stuff. But yeah, the Battle of Helm's Deep holds up, I think, as one of the greatest cinematic fight scenes of all time. Like large-scale fights, battle mm -hmm. scenes there. It's one of the best and always gets brought up as people's favorite scene in that movie there. So that's for a reason that it's my favorite and all our favorites as well. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on there. Um, Theoden's cockiness always stands out to me. Like he's accomplishing anything on the battlefield, just scoffing at Sauron's army. Like, is this it? Is this all you can conjure, Sauron? Just say, get out of here, man. You're <laughs> the homie Aragorn's out on the front lines leading by example. And another thing that kills me about Theoden is when they're um, falling back to the keep and Theoden's behind the, the barricades and he just yells at Aragorn through the door like, Aragorn, get back here! And then shuts him out essentially there and he, he's left to fight and hold his own ex exceptionally well. That's another thing that I love in the Hel in Helm's Deep is the Gimli-Legolas kill count um, debacle. There's the Gimli toss, just Legolas jumping on a shield and using it like a snowboard to just go down the ramp and mm. snipe Orcs, Urukai at the same time. There's just a lot of classic moments. There's oh, a tearjerker yeah. too in Haldir's death. You know, it's got it all. Helm's mm -hmm. Deep. You can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. That's the pick. Easily. I know, um, I'd just add on to what you said, Eric, I think probably one of my favorite, I guess, partnerships or relationships was def throughout the movie was definitely Gimli and Legolas how they're 
there's a huge chance they could die, but what do they do instead? They decide, okay, who can kill more orcs? And then, of course, there's, a, I think, the scene where, because um, Gimli, given his obvious size as a dwarf, he has to wait for them to come to him, whereas Legolas is an archer, so he already has that advantage. And so uh, I think he, he kills about two or three, or no, two, I, I believe, and he yells at Legolas, like, I got two, and Lego, uh, Legolas is like, I'm at 17. Yeah. And he's like, what? Nice. You, there's no way I'm letting you out kill me. And then he just goes and starts hamming it up just swinging it at all the orcs around him so def definitely their their relationship there was ab absolutely uh i think necessary given the the serious nature as well yeah. but as as well like you highlighted uh legolas like using his shield like a snowboard like easily probably just if there's one character you can classify as like badass yeah. legolas a hundred percent yeah and and just I think Theoden does fine. He's just projecting confidence, even though he knows it's not real. It's just like what's going on in his head, you know? He's just yeah. thinking like, oh, fuck, maybe I have a chance. We, we yeah. need you as the I'm voice of Theoden. reason. I'm a big Theoden fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I wonder if, well, yeah. I know he, in that scene, he may have been talking more to himself when he says that, but yeah. I think also he feels like as a leader, he needs to project confidence, even if it's something he doesn't believe in. So maybe that was his way of, trying to like trick himself like ha we, we do have a chance and then no at the time oh, i did not <laughs> yeah no like before the battle legolas and aragorn's exchange is great too and mm -hmm. then it, they start in elvish and then they turn back to england and then aragorn shouts in english and it's like holy shit yeah yeah that's classic. and i shall die as one of them <laughs> yeah yeah that's classic for sure ah uh, man i want to watch this movie now Anyways, um, Return so, of the King now. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to Return of the King. I'll, I'll get it going. Um, my first moment that I love is Aragorn winning over the army of the dead. I think is a huge, Ooh. pivotal moment for their cause, where we see that under the orc lieutenant Gothmog, my boy, the pink orc. They would have stood no chance without the without the army of the dead. There was no hope. They just run through their forces later on in the movie when they finally get them to their side. Especially the ships that arrive, which are um, that's before disc one of the extended edition ends. Mm -hmm. Basically, we see the ships arrive. Like holy shit! Like there's more forces coming through. We don't stand a chance. And then finally. They come out once Aragorn has proven that he is the descendant of Isildur, that they owe him this favor wherein they failed to honor their oath back then. And that's why they have lived on for so long, thousands of years, right, as spirits. Mm -hmm. um, they, it's understandable that they'd want to fulfill their duties and just call it a day there and just lay down to rest. So, um, yeah, I think that's a, a classic scene. They're not expecting Aragorn to come out of that alive as well. It's just a, a solid moment. The three boys, too, they're solid. Uh, the homies, so it's a big play. Yeah, I yep. couldn't agree more. Okay, so my my favorite, okay, my third favorite scene, and this isn't a scene, this is just, this is literally a three-minute sequence with epic music. It's the sequence when all the beacons are being lit from, like, Gondor to Rohan. Okay. I, I'm, like, obsessed with that sequence. I love it. Every time it starts, I'm like, oh, I just like watching the scenery and the way the camera's panning and doing, like, 180s. I don't know what it is about it. It's a small moment in the movie that is per perfect. Like, yeah, the beacon sequence. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's really 
Um, uh, that that's a really good scene because I remember there was also I forget if it was um, I think it was the two towers where um, uh, Aragorn and Theoden they were um, talking about like what can be mm -hmm. done to help uh, mm -hmm. protect Theoden's people and um, Aragorn mentions uh, the people of Gondor and Theoden immediately was like Gondor where was wow, Gondor when yeah, yeah when Rohan when needed the West them, them the fell. most yeah <laughs> yeah when the West exactly so at that moment. Um, uh, when Gondor was in its time of need, they hadn't even gave the the sort of the nod, like, "Yep, no, I'm, I might have feelings toward, like, I might be mad with you guys, but you know what? I'm fulfilling uh, what we what we uh, said we would do many many years ago." So I think that was definitely uh, helped unite everyone and against uh, Sauron's forces. So. Good, good choice there again, Matt. Yeah, I like that pick as well. It's like Thank you, you said, Justin, too. That well, let's put put our differences aside, our history aside, and all come together to overcome the the enemy of our no, yeah, our enemy. Anyways, I was trying to do an yeah. enemy of our enemy is our friend there, which they are actually. But anyways, mm -hmm. yeah. No, you're still right in a way. Yeah, yeah. it kind of works. So yeah, no, that's a great <laughs> moment, Matt. And I love seeing every beacon illuminated as well, or lit mm -hmm. up as well. They're just. Yeah, another opportunity to see New Zealand's landscape there. You can't go wrong, right? So, it's good. definitely got to visit there, and it's, hopefully, maybe do a tour. Hopefully, once yeah. things are. Yeah, would love to. Seriously, um, I think uh, okay. So one of my, I guess, my third favorite moment um, was definitely the beginning of uh, Return of the King, and you finally get Smeagol's backstory. And how he became Gollum, essentially. So you realize, you learn that he, yep, how he's with, um, uh, I think it's his cousin, actually. I forget yeah. if they're friends or cousins, but cousins, Deagle. Yeah. And they're, they're fishing, and then all of a sudden, uh, Deagle gets, uh, a fit, gets a hook, uh, uh, on his line, and, but he gets dragged into the water because they, uh, they were kind of, they were hobbits as well, so I guess there's only so much strength. And then as Deagle's sort of struggling to, like, compose himself he finds the ring he brings it to shore and um and then they both see the ring in sort of all of its glory and um just sort of seeing how they both are mesmerized by by i guess its, its beauty and how they eventually both are fighting to the point that they're both strangling each other and smeagol ends up killing deagle all because of the ring and i think in that moment i i personally felt that uh, maybe not sympathy but you know what it was it seemed like an inevitability that one of them was going to die so it just so happened smeagol was the one who killed deagle for the ring and then just seeing his progression how he's getting like these voices in his head that i think he doesn't realize it's coming from the ring because the ring wants to be returned to sauron he keeps getting these bad feelings like he feels like people are calling him murderer thief and the ring essentially drives him to madness and not only um, mentally, but physically you see him, how his body is like slowly decaying, but the ring sort of gives him that this extended life. So it's like, even if maybe he wanted to die, he can't die. And sort of uh, how he's saying over time, he, you know, he forgets the taste of bread. He forgets um, like the people he knew. He even forgot his name because his whole uh, being in existence at the time was, him in the ring and his precious essentially so i think th that scene definitely gave you a bit of a necessary backstory in terms of um 
Smeagol and how he became Gollum. Yeah, that scene scared the shit out of me as a kid. That's all I'm going to add. 100% like I had nightmares. me too, man. It's scary. It's, especially when he's the looking fa- up the or transitional smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. God, eating the fish and all that there. Yeah, with like his like black decaying teeth. Yeah. and. Oh, I think um, one of them even, I think you uh, realize, like I, I, my friend told me, because I think he read the books or he read something online, why he was called Gollum was essentially because um, his body was like decaying, but he couldn't die. He'd be coughing and passersby apparently would hear like the sound Gollum. So they assumed they sort of associated him with that name. And so that's how he became Gollum. Just and just sort of, I think one of the, even the scenes he's like, choking like he's seems like he's gonna die and as he's doing that it's like uh, Gollum like he's saying Gollum a few times so that's sort of how Gollum I guess came came to be but um amazing special effects I think especially for the time and just sort of um taking I guess like an Andy Circus uh regular hobbit and then turning him into a monster essentially yeah it's a tragic scene man because you 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 know right away that he's gonna become be he's gonna kill his cousin or something bad is gonna happen as soon as there starts you see that look in his eye there that he wants the ring and obviously we know we're at the third movie by this point we know he's gonna get the ring right so mm-hmm. nothing good can come of the ring being reintroduced there so it's always a scene that makes me it's a little sad to watch there him kill his cousin for a ring there and you you would assume he was they were close before then mm-hmm. too so. Yeah, it's a rough scene, but a, a cool insight on what Smeagol was before. Just a run-of-the-mill fisherman, you know? Mm-hmm. Salt-of-the-earth guy, but not really. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it's a good moment, well-described on your end as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, then I guess going into my second moment, which... Um, in a way, also is maybe not the happiest of moments, but I think definitely an important moment. And I think it's um, uh, just the overall relationship between uh, Denethor and Faramir. So throughout, um, towards the end of the Two Towers and in the beginning of Return of the King, you learn that Boromir was Faramir's brother. And you really see just sort of how his father views Faramir and Boromir. And it's just... It's like, like you can't help but feel for Faramir because he's trying his best, and all his father is like, "You're not Boromir. Boromir would have, uh, wouldn't have given up so easily. You know what? Like, like get out of my face. You're just like, just absolutely heart wrenching stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't mean to bring this up, Eric, but like, imagine that's you and your brother, and you knock on wood. Obviously, nothing would would happen like that. But imagine like. You were to be slain in battle, and then your father, through grief and madness, is like, you know what, uh, Zach, you're not Eric. Eric would have done this. Just, like, get out of my face. Like, just can you like imagine just how like the the feelings involved? And I think it's uh, it's a really good scene that really helps you like sympathize with Faramir and just sort of see like even maybe a bit with Boromir, like they were always sort of going through, like trying to please their father, but it seemed like there not, nothing they could do really could ever please him. And he was just such, such a, a terrible, terrible character, but I think a necessary one in terms of helping uh, the, the overall progression of the story. Yeah. 
Well, if my brother that, and I are yeah. Boromir and Faramir, my our dad's nothing like Denethor, so I uh, don't <laughs> have to worry about that there. But no, it's a. Uh, I know that dynamic is always a little disturbing and um, sad. Again, Justin, you're hitting us with these these rough moments here, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, then um, then if, if like I said earlier that Boromir is a scumbag the first time you watch the movie, like mm-hmm. what's Denethor then? Holy, he's like a hundred times worse, right? Mm-hmm. And you you understand like I said earlier why Boromir acts the way he does, and then Faramir just wants to get his father's love and appreciation, so he tries to prove himself. It's it's relatable in a sense, right? Like you obviously want to prove yourself to your parents and stuff, and to your dad that you're um. Like you worthwhile accomplishments there, but this guy just cannot be pleased by his his younger son. He mm-hmm. just wants Boromir. It's rough stuff. Mm-hmm. Not anything yeah. bad. Denethor is a moron. I hate him. Mm-hmm. I mean, the actor does such a good job playing him, but like I absolutely hate all his decision decisions are horrible. Yeah. And like even at the end where he's Stupid. like he sees Faramir wake up, he's like Faramir, Uh, like, fuck you, just keep burning. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, like, yeah, yeah, no, like, he might be a hobbit, but Pippin was kind of right, like, he's alive, what are you doing, man? He's like, no, no, I need to be here with my son. How do you not check his pulse? He's not Uh, redeemed in the end, you don't feel bad for Denethor and his death, Uh, definitely not. And how does he run... Like a, fl- a like a flame, yeah. A flame. Yeah. That that's that that might be an editing issue because of the extended version. You see that how far away it is, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna go with my number two now. Okay. Now, like in 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 Return of the King, there's a huge ac- action sequence, like the battle on Pelennor Fields, and I I'm not just gonna say that because that encomp- encompasses like maybe an hour of the movie. So I'm just gonna pick a moment in that battle that I love is when Eomir is standing in front of the elephant. With his spear, and he oh, stares yeah. down the guy on top Classic. and fuck, he chucks the spear and hits him. Yeah. That's I love that part. Love it. Yeah, that's like he doesn't he doesn't even move. He stands his ground in front of this thing that's like a hundred feet tall and like, or not that tall, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, epic Massive scene. Thing. Yeah, oh, that's a great scene. I, I love that moment too because that Oliphant did damage too earlier in the move in the battle, right? So mm. then a, that's a huge mm. win for our yeah. army to get that bastard riding the elephant to their dead there as well. So I love that moment every time too. We, we always get fired up watching. Uh, that's a classic. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So I can get into my number two, which actually segues nicely from Justin's actually me. It's the death of Denethor is my number two. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's yes. one of the all time gratifying deaths. I want to say in movies, I mentioned Commodus in the villain episode there, and Denethor is a villain in his own right, and his death is almost as gratifying as well. You do not feel bad for him at all. He's not redeemed. You don't sympathize for him ever throughout the movie. He's just an all-time scumbag that, we've already kind of covered it there, but I'll just say it again there, doesn't appreciate his son, his living son, and basically accepts the fact that he's riding out to his own death um, to fight... um, or Gothmog and all of them there earlier in the movie. And even when he comes back, like you said, doesn't even check his pulse. Just like, all right, I have another another dead son. Why couldn't Boromir be here? He probably would have won the battle. Who knows? Whatever. Mm-hmm. So I I loved um, Gandalf's nonchalant narration of his death. And, and so falls Denethor, son of Ecthelion, steward of Gondor. As he's jumping off... Um, 
minister there, the the keep. So that's a great moment. And I love also when pre- preceding his death, when Gandalf smokes him with his staff. That's a that's a classic moment. Yeah, that's uh, my number two. De- definitely no arguments there. I know. Um, uh, I guess maybe just to add on, like. Yeah, when, when you're a character and you're literally um, not only telling your living son that, um, and your living son literally comes to the point where he says, you you, you wish um, Boromir and my our places were switched, you wish that I was dead and that Boromir was still alive, and he's basically like, yeah, of course, like, <laughs> absolute piece of, of shit, just like, honestly, yeah. absolute piece of, of shit character, and I think um, definitely him... Uh, Jumping to his death while on fire, um, dare I make the terrible pun, but hey, you know what, I may as well. He did not go out in a blaze of glory, that is for sure. <laughs> that's solid. Didn't know where you were going nice. with that, but that's good. So, what do you have for number one, Eric? Number one for me is a, um, number one. a trifecta of glory and death between Frodo, Sam, and Smeagol. Their bout Ooh. at Mount Doom, I think, is just a classic. Solid. They're like this. It's the end of the journey. You're finally there. Sam is lugging Frodo. Had been carrying him this whole franchise for God's sakes, and then <laughs> at least Frodo steps up a little bit when Gollum comes back. And at this point, it's Gollum there. I shouldn't even have said Smeagol, but the hit that all these characters, these former hobbits, are taking because even Frodo now has become. Um, he's more machine than man at this point um star wars reference but anyways and um yeah that's no, just a good like throwing rocks at heads and uh biting just uh, i just love the battle between the three of them there and then frodo finally gets to the top and when he's uh, he has the opportunity to drop the ring in he doesn't take it i love the line also i know i'm adding a, a little bit here to the the battle i described there but i love when frodo turns around and just says dramatic music stops the ring is mine and then music starts up again just always i, I love that line the bone chill like the the ring's whispering to him like he yeah. hears like this yeah yeah oh, i love that i love it reminiscing even, about all their times together yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a good run. That's so, a so yeah, that's great pick, one. Eric. No, thanks. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, my number one. So this this scene is like I was twelve years old in the theater when this came out, and this was this is my the greatest scene I've ever seen at, in a movie at the theater, for how epic it was. It's it's King Theoden's arrival on Pelennor Fields with his army, and his speech basically, oh. and they're all like, and then the charge. I've never seen a better scene in a theater, like, ever. Greatest moment of my life in the theater, seeing that scene. And if the movie ever goes back to the theater, I'm just going to go see it just for that scene. Uh, I love it. I love when they charge and the orcs' faces. And I just, like, goosebumps. I just get massive goosebumps and chills, yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's a classic. Yeah, definitely. I think of... Yeah. Of all the epic scenes uh, or battle scenes, and there definitely are a lot in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, dare I say, the most epic of, of them all. And I yeah. think um, that scene, I think uh, definitely for, for me personally, I think it really showed Theoden as King Theoden, like he truly was a leader in that moment, t- uh, giving his speech, you know, riding 
by each horses and like tapping the like swords sword to sword uh epic just just epic mm-hmm. yeah. all right and um so i guess uh leading to my scene to try to keep it uh, different from all you guys uh bringing it back to why samwise gamgee is the best character in the lord of the rings trilogy it is his fu- it is his fight <laughs> with the spider um mm. i yeah. believe the spider's name was Classic. uh she rog she lob she lob she lob sorry check my notes here Re- reread that yeah how like honestly in that scene how could you not love sam uh, sam he he's brought to tears trying to convince frodo that it Gollum is evil that he's turned uh turned him against him and uh poisoned him with his words trying to uh make frodo think that sam wants the ring when he doesn't he just wants to help frodo and he wants to destroy the ring frodo tells him no like this is the end like go home i don't need you anymore so he's making his way down down the uh, mountain steps and he sees the um elven bread that um uh, Gollum had convinced Frodo that Sam had been eating so that they had no more food at the time. So what does he do? He grabs the bread, crumbles it in his hand, looks up and is like, screw this, I'm up. And lo and behold, Gollum deceives um, Frodo and tries to lead him uh, to his death. Um, arachnophobes, this is probably easily their scariest uh, scene in the movie. And I think it's definitely one that... I know it's it's a scene, but I always kind of like look around where I am just to make sure there aren't any spiders, so I don't uh, freak out myself. Because uh, given the size of uh, uh, of Shelob, it's it's hard not to be uh, totally freaked out. But um, so Frodo eventually gets out, um, believes he's uh, he's in the clear, looks around because he feels like he's being watched. Turns around right into the stinger, is paralyzed, is about to be um, devoured. And what do you see? but a uh, sword and the epic line, let him go, you filth. <laughs> and this guy, like, no fear whatsoever, just goes in, um, damages Shelob, drives her back into her cave, and, like, can you, like, just ama- absolutely amazing. Like, this guy who basically told you, go home, I don't need you anymore, never gave up, never wanted to leave, came back, uh, Frodo, like, was almost in tears like apologizing for what he did and didn't even like bat an eye just like let's let's uh go destroy the ring but let's get you some clothes uh frodo you can't be walking down the streets of mordor uh in nothing but your bare skin so easily as well favorite scene and just proves why uh like uh frodo had said in the sec the end at the end of the second movie uh I want to hear the story about yeah. Samwise the Brave because Frodo wouldn't have gotten very far uh, without him. Man, I was just wow. just thinking of that. Wow. What a rundown! Whew, that's like chills. Legends are <laughs> yeah, well made said, in moments like Thanks. that. That's um, all time. Uh, you covered it super well there. Like the one thing I was gonna chime in there, you added in at the end there. But it's a good job. <laughs> no, I was really good. Was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, that's a great moment. Me too. Always hate that scene where Frodo turns Sam away, but you know he's coming back there, obviously. there. I don't remember how I felt about it the first time. I was surely frustrated because 
Like you've said, Sam has been nothing but a great friend and has been the reason that Frodo has gotten this far. And then when they're this close to the end, Frodo has really been tainted by Gollum and the ring and everything and is convinced that his best friend is out to steal the ring from him when he's constantly told him that he has no intention of taking the ring, only wants to share the load, which is iconic also in there. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great number one pick. Austin Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think what's, uh, especially in the return of the King, I think there's so many great moments. I know like you uh, covered earlier, um, when they're going to get the ghost army, like the tension there, that was also like one of my favorite scenes and like the, the epic moment of um, uh, the dead King going to strike him with his blade and um, uh, Aragorn uh, like essentially blocks it. And so everyone's like, Whoa, only the true King of Gondor can do it. Yeah. True King of Gondor right here. <laughs> what up? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, Something interesting that you also noted in your um, rundown of your number one moment was, in fact, your number one character, which mm-hmm. we can segue into as well. Now we okay, so I'll give my three, two, one, and then go. So my number three character is Legolas. I think is just an obviously a little overpowered, especially in the Hobbit movies. The the tricks he's doing, balancing. <laughs> Matt's shaking his head in disgust at the Hobbit. We're not talking about those movies (laughs) right now. But yeah, I love Legolas. They're um, always been a big bow and arrow guy. So seeing a character that cool and um, close combat abilities are incredible as well. And his tricks and stunts just keep getting better every movie. So I'd put Legolas as my number three. Number two, big Gandalf guy. Um, he's a pretty funny character, love sweet magic user and, um, the voice of reason sees ahead, sees ahead, sacrifices himself for the Balrog as a mentor to Frodo. And I just love that actor as well. They're big Magneto fans. So I got to show him some love. And, uh, number one, if you didn't guess by my, um, I guess I didn't talk about him too much there, but my number one character is Aragorn. He's your prototypical hero, just a, a sweet character, kind of tortured with his identity crisis, not wanting to accept his responsibility as rightful heir of Isildur's heir that he's been trying to avoid and distance himself from and carve out his own identity as a ranger of the Dunedain clan. And yeah, there's still so yeah. much we don't know about Aragorn. Like I'd be all in favor of a a prequel trilogy or whatever on Aragorn there. There's a lot more story there. His side plot with them, um, Arwen. Oh, yeah. Is kind <laughs> of a little much there and I'm not a huge fan of, but I mean, Hey, it's got to give the guy a love interest. Right. And, um, yeah, no, Aragorn's the man just decapitates the mouth of Sauron. Like it's nothing. Love that scene too. Love that. scene. Yeah. His charge. Amazing through um, the gates of uh, Mordor as well, inspiring. Like I said, I covered his leadership great style, speech. I think. Yeah, yeah another mm-hmm. great speech. Um, uh, again, at the end, also the, my friends, you bow to no one, is classic. There, That's another great moment. Yeah, I know. his fabulous singing. Yes, yeah. During that scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, that'd be my rundown Great of list. top three characters. All right. Uh, my mine are a little different then. I don't think I'm gonna have the same list as you guys, but like my number three favorite, okay, was Gandalf. Okay. N no surprise there. My favorite line of his is when he tells Frodo, um, basically like all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. When Frodo's like, why did it have to happen now? Blah blah blah. Uh, that elevates the movie for me. Makes it more like serious and thought provoking. Um, number two, okay, number two, my second favorite character is Theoden. Okay. okay. Mm, really? I love every scene with him. I love his lines, and what makes it for me is his behavior on Pelennor Field. Like, you're either you're gonna fight or flight in a situation, and he he he's a fighter. Like, he sees the uh, the uh, elephants coming, and he's like, "All right, reform the line. We're freaking charging them." And uh, no, I, I love Theoden. He's just I like his bravery, and I think the uh, Bernard Hill who plays him does an amazing job. And yeah. Okay, and my number one, if you haven't guessed it, is Boromir. <laughs> I the reason why I like Boromir so much is he reminds me of myself. Like I make a lot of mistakes, but I know in the end I correct them. Like we're all flawed. All the hu every human it like sins, but it's what you do after that defines your actions. You know, and i also think he has all the best lines in the movie like i love his uh, speech in uh during the council of elrond where he says like one does not simply walk into mordor and that whole sh uh, spiel it's another um, classic. and i love sean yeah. bean as an act i love <laughs> sean bean as an actor too so i'm a little like i like everything he's in and i i'm just heartbroken during his last stand and his sacrifice and then his dying words to aragorn so that's why he's my favorite character uh, you you make some good points, and I think um, uh, kind of like how Erica said, like when you're you're first introduced to him, you're thinking, okay, like this guy's a scum, a scumbag. Like there's no way I'm gonna like this character at all. And then by the end of uh, the first movie, it's like you actually, I think you really sympathize with him, and you actually are sad that he's dead because like every sort of flawed not only does he identify, but he does his best to correct. And I think uh, Matt, uh, like you said, like we're only we're only human, so like no nobody's perfect, and sometimes you make mistakes that you regret. But as long as you like work hard and try your best and do uh, to overcome them, I think you, you could still uh, be be an amazing person. You know, For sure. die a hero before living lo long enough to become the villain. Yep. Totally different movie quote, but yeah, it's still applicable. <laughs> we don't Are talk you... about that movie on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Overrated. Duly okay. noted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, my top three. Now, my number three um, might be a bit of a cheat because they're a pair. And maybe me That's saying fine. that might give it away, but it uh, has to be Pippin and Mary. Okay. You know, these two kind of like jolly old idiots, basically, is what uh, <laughs> they're kind of introduced as. You know, like just these comic relief guys like you see in the first movie at the beginning. They get into the fireworks and they release like this big one and they're like man look what no you clean this up it's your your idea and um gandalf catches them and makes them do all the dishes then and how they evolve throughout the movie from like just these comic relief kind of idiot characters to heroes and badasses in their own way like um um mary i think uh, more than pippin i think you could say probably matured as 
a hobbit being, not human being, but a hobbit being is um, between the interactions with Treebeard and how Pippin just had to see into, um, uh, like, had to grab from uh, Gandalf, sorry, the object I'm blanking here. Uh, what the is Palantir. It? Yeah, the, the Palantir, how he's like, you just had to look into that and and Mary's, or basically like, but like, or sorry, Pippin's basically like, well, yeah, I had to, like, I wanted to know what, and Mary's like, do you understand what's going on now? Like, Sauron thinks you have the ring, he's gonna come after you and gonna kill you for that, like, how he's able to go from, like, this, like, goofball idiot character to understanding the serious nature of just what they're in, and I think even Pippin... Uh, realizing once he was separated from Mary, like just what he had done and serving Denethor as best as he could, you know, someone with a good singing, singing voice, I think uh, definitely could, uh, could go to, uh, to Pippin, how he's singing during uh, basically the inevitable march uh, to their death of um, Faramir and his men. So they, they definitely have a place there. Um, my number two character would have to be Gimli. I think once again, it could probably be either him or Legolas, but I I, I think I, I relate more to Gimli. Definitely, he's uh, definitely that comic relief character, but a hundred percent badass. You see him on the field, um, all, all the scenes, the serious scenes, his goofy, his funny scenes, especially you know, no one tosses a dwarf. One movie later, toss me. <laughs> what? Toss me? I can't jump there. Don't tell the elf. Like. For for uh for a movie with a lot of serious moments, I think he's that comic relief character, and I love comic relief characters, and I think he, dare I say, does it better than anyone in the movie. But while still, you never once doubt his ability to kill anyone that he fights in battle. And um, I guess we'll quickly, uh, I don't know what more I can say, number one character has to be Samwise Gamgee, like... What more? What more do you need? Kind of thing, like following Frodo along, never giving up on their friendship, believing that um, there's still good in this world to fight for. You know, like just the ultimate um, protagonist that I think um, uh, definitely by by the end of the movie, I think it's telling how um, Frodo has to leave, and he entrusts Sam uh, to he gives him his book essentially to to continue his story, and you see Sam eventually. Uh, how, how many of us can maybe relate to the issues he had with um, uh, with the girls and trying, you know, to sum up the courage to, to ask her out and starting a family eventually. Just just a beautiful story all, all along. So Samwise, Gamgee, number one character. For sure. That's a good... Oh, well said, Justin. Yeah. Thanks. Great rundown. Sam is an awesome character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I like the Mary and Pippin pick as well. I, you could group them together for sure. And I guess the, the road to the village of Bree wasn't enough for Pippin to lose his innocence. He had to wait all the way to the end there, basically, and realize that he had messed up kind of bad. But no, Mary is always more intuitive and just understanding of the magnitude of the situations, right? Even back mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. Bree, basically. Pre-Bree, actually. Buckleberry Fairy. So, um... Yeah, that's a good rundown of all three of those, four of those characters, I should say. But yeah, no, it's <laughs> good stuff. So are there any honorable mentions, like one character you think is kind of underrated off the top if you've written anyone down or have anyone? Like I have someone I could just, just throw in there and sweet character that I feel like is underrated. 
and I'm gonna. Yeah, rattle them off. So I got Aomir for sure is an underrated badass character like Matt. He has, I think it was your number two pick, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Just taking down that the guy on the olive olifant there. Um, he has a few solid moments. I can't really think of others off the top there, but I just always liked his character and how cool he is. And um, you feel for him being banished basically by his own his uncle um, under the influence of Saruman and Grima Wormtongue. Yeah, Eomir would be my um, honorable mention. I like Gollum too. I'm a big Gollum fan. Uh, Boromir as well. Could have made the list. But that's what I came to realize when I was writing down who I had to narrow down as top three. Is that for me, Lord of the Rings is more of a by committee approach than really individuals that truly make the movie. That's my opinion. That's why like the Fellowship of the Ring works so well. Is that all our main characters are all together and it works beautifully in fellowship and in all the movies anyways but i think it's more of a team first approach less individual centric it's my take oh i'm just gonna give a quick shout out to uh saruman played by christopher lee phenomenal job and the scene with him and yeah the scene with him and gandalf on the top of orthanc when gandalf's about to jump on the eagle and like i love that scene in gandalf's like there can only be one Lord of the Rings, and he doesn't. I uh, forget what and he, he says. And he does not he... share power. That's classic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I love I that, love that whole scene. So good. Yeah, that's my honorable mention. Yeah, I think um, honorable uh, honorable mention um, for me would probably be uh, Eowyn um, Miranda yeah. Otto, the actress yeah. who plays her. I think does a phenomenal job, and how you really can feel with her in terms of. Um, Losing um, her cousin, um, Theoden's son, even though he's uh, uh, under the spell of uh, Sauron, how she was always there. And you think, like, she's this um, innocent uh, character who, like, needs to be protected. And then just sort of, like, in that little duel she had with um, Aragorn kind of beat him in that. And you see, like, you know what? No, she, she can easily fight for herself. And throughout the movie... She wants to join the battle. She even says, like, what she fears the most is basically not being able to to help where she knows she can. And towards um, the end, how she's the one who uh, ends up slaying uh, the king of the Nazgul's with with help from, or, yeah, exactly with uh, with the help of um, of Mary as well. So I think uh, combination of my characters there, but how. She was constantly told he can't go to battle. He can't go go to battle. Even um, Mary uh, wanted to help, and they said, you know, like the battlefield is no place for a hobbit. You're too small. Both of them decided, you know what? If they're not going to let us, we're just going to go. So you, I think you definitely have to admire her courage and bravery there, where there was definitely uh, a lot of uh, like emotion there, and she uh, mm-hmm. definitely t- took uh, took a strong lead in terms of sneaking in to battle and more than held her own so she she's the strongest female character in the movie she's a, a amazing character and uh yeah no that'd be another one of my honorable mentions yeah mm-hmm. she's amazing much better she's way better written than like arwen or galadriel like she is she's badass oh yeah yeah 
Yeah, she's a sweet character for sure. Ends up with the homie Faramir too, so that's a that's a dub at so the end of the day for, for him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was so happy for Faramir when the yeah. when you see that, it's just like yes, there's some good. I know, solid honorable mentions all around. Um, what is your guys' uh, favorite movie now that we've all done our rundowns on top moments of every movie? There, which one would you say? I think you kind of hinted at it already, Justin. There, you mm-hmm. you want to kick us off there? Yeah, I know. I know. I kind of dropped it earlier in the in the pod, but uh, has to be the two towers. I think um, easily how it's the middle one. You know, it, it links um, the two together. Um, I think probably the uh, the best battle scene as well. Um, I think it, it um, that's the movie also where you know the characters are kind of split up, and then you're sort of seeing their own individual stories um come uh like lead off so you really get to know more about each of the characters and how they're sort of like they're all fighting this for the same cause but how they're going about it in different ways i think that movie had a little bit everything you know you had um comedy you had uh some serious uh acting scenes you had some fight scenes you had um uh all around, I think just amazing uh, character work as well as uh, story development, uh, taking you out from uh, from the first movie being that strong link, and then you know sort of leading into the third movie. Like our heroes have won, but the battle is far from over, sort of thing. So, oh, well, well said. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite movie is Part One: Fellowship of the Rings. For two reasons. I love seeing the Fellowship all together. And and my favorite characters in the movie, Boromir. So, I don't know. I just... The movie just flows really fast for me when I'm watching it. I usually watch the theatrical cut, not the extended for the first one. Because it doesn't add anything. No, I just... The first one just flies by for me. And I love watching Boromir on scene. And, yeah. That's why it's my number one. Or, my favorite. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. I was just I was gonna add, uh, Matt. I I 100% agree with you in terms of um, rewatching uh, the movies. Even just a couple weeks ago, I found the first one probably flew by what felt like uh, the fastest of all of them. But I guess you could probably also say that that had to do with how uh, how well it was uh, written and everything. So agree with that that statement for sure. So mine, I'm agreeing with Justin in that Two Towers is my favorite movie. I love the whole trilogy. I got to say it is one of the best trilogies, if not the best trilogy, wherein I love all the movies, despite what I said about fast-forwarding stuff there. it's That's just to save a bit of time, you know. But uh, Two Towers is definitely, I think, the strongest one, the most captivating one with the uh, solid action and in any trilogy, really, your second movie is make or break in that it's either building off of a good first movie that's introducing a bunch of concepts, characters, storylines, what have you, and then taking it a step further or just bungling the entire foundational pieces that have been laid. See The Last Jedi for reference material. Oh. <laughs> so, which uh, Two Towers does perfectly. We've already covered how you get all your different storylines, your grouping, groupings of characters, your um, your two towers. That's the one. I mean, what else can you say at this point there? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my pick, two towers. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the other thing we had prepared was 
talking about the Hobbit movies. I don't know how much we need to get into it. I've been going for a while. Um, I'll just say quickly, that's talk about a franchise that doesn't, a trilogy that didn't do what I just talked about in that the second one, I don't know. Like I like the first one, I, I feel like, but the second one was just meh. And the third one, I want to say, is just an absolute travesty. There's talking yeah. and joking mid-fight scene. There, oh. The two dwarf cousins are oh. talking, laughing, reverse-hitting people behind them without looking with their hammers on goats. Anyways, it's just brutal. Yeah. I can sum up The Hobbit in, like, one little sentence. I've watched every Hobbit behind the scenes, and Peter Jackson... It's the morning of the shoot, and he's like, I don't know how I'm going to shoot this scene. I'm just going to wing it today again. He literally says that. And he even apologized for the movies later on, saying, I didn't put enough time and effort into them. So he's acknowledging the movies are poor quality. And he just did not have enough time, and he winged it. And this is why, this is the product we got. So it's a fact that they're they're not good. I mean... Me personally, there there are definitely some enjoyable moments, but I think the three, especially compared to the Lord of the Rings, like you can't compare. Like it's they're in different leagues in terms of how uh, everything, how well they were shot, how well they were acted, how well uh, the stories flowed. Um, I think I remember because uh, I saw it with the same friend who got me into the Lord of the Rings. We saw uh, those movies in theaters, and I was kind of even. I think I, I want to say after every movie, I was like, why. Why can't this all be done in one movie? And he told me that apparently um, Peter Jackson, like he didn't want to skip any of the details um, from The Hobbit, uh, even though it was one book divided into three movies, whereas you have much bigger books with their own movies in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So I don't know. Does it boil down to money? The the only... For sure. For sure. Like I... I, I think the only thing about it was once I saw the final one, I was kind of like, oh, man, like, it's all done. All the movies are over. So I was kind of sad about that. But, yeah, what, what else? What else, I guess, is there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we did get a couple of questions from uh, listeners. So thank you for submitting some stuff. I think we can wrap up Bow on Hobbit. Quickly, we'll tackle these questions. This one is from our cousin, Sarah Smith. Loyal uh, three-time guest, big fan of the show. Shout out Sarah. So her question was, thoughts on the extended versions? To me, it's not even a question. The extended is the only version I know, LOL. How do you feel about that? I'll answer. We have the box set extended edition. That's all I know. I've never seen Lord of the Rings non-extended. It would be weird for me. Really? Yeah. Or if I have, I don't remember it. So uh, extended is all I know as far as I know. So yeah, extended. And I've seen super extended too. Like the the four hour Return of the King is way too much. That's what I'll say. And um, is there not a four hour cut, Matt? Am I wrong here? There's just there's two. No, there's the extended and the theatrical. And honestly, I alternate every time I marathon them. I do one time I'll do all theatrical and then I'll do all extended. And honestly, like the theatrical, they're amazing. There's nothing wrong with them. They they just change a couple things that if you're familiar with the extended you're like well how did they get from here to here but the the running time of theatrical is perfect you can do them all in like 10 hours yeah 201 so. minutes for return of the king oh <laughs> that's perfect and a lot of scene the extended scenes in some of them are like pointless no that's the theatrical 
the extended is 252 minutes, according to Wikipedia. Yeah, so, so Return is like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, Justin? That's all I know. Um, well, I know I, I was uh, re-watching uh, the trilogy a couple weeks ago on Netflix, and uh, it was only the th- theatrical ones. And I got to agree with Sarah, like, I just, I felt, um, though not every scene in the extended versions isn't necessarily important, I think it just adds to the aesthetic, and I felt like kind of shortchanged, maybe ripped off a bit, um, especially in Return of the King. One scene I did uh, want to see that um, was cut out, I found, was um, uh, when they're taking the ring up uh, the mountain to destroy it. Um, they show uh, Gollum come back and he's attacking them. They didn't uh, show the one scene that I really liked where um, uh, Gollum's like trying to get the ring from Frodo and Frodo's like, what are you doing, Smeagol? Like, you, you swore on the precious and he just is like, Smeagol lied. Oh, that's classic. That's that not scene in was the theatrical? Not, that was not in, in the, no. the one on Netflix. I was so, so like, like. I never had to experience that. That's why I'm yeah. glad I only have extended edition. <laughs> yeah, and like the theatrical doesn't show uh, Aragorn in the halls of the dead, like them going through the hallway with the smoke, them escaping the halls of the dead with the skulls falling, them meeting the corsairs. That's not in the theatrical any of that. Uh, like, um, yeah. That too. And in yeah, part that two, scene, I was I was oh, waiting ahead, for Justin. that. I'm like, where where is all all the good stuff? Come on. I mean, I guess that's subjective, but. All right. And so I guess we're all in agreement. Or Matt, you alternate. I think Justin. I like both because I used to watch them before the extended. The extended never existed until like the special edition DVDs came out. So I only knew the theatrical. So I grew attached to them. I can respect that. Yeah. So our other submission from our previous guest, actually, and father of Sarah Pat Smith, our uncle. So his thought-provoking question was, regarding human evolution, Tolkien has been called the ultimate pessimist. In his world, things just keep getting worse. Doom and gloom. How does such negative outlook achieve such popularity among readers and viewers? Well, I'm just going to say... Tolkien, look at the time he lived in. He was—he literally fought in World War One, the most horrifying war in history of the world. He was in the trenches, and then he, after that, he had to live through like World War Two, or he was getting older when that happened. But he lived through the two worst conflicts of the twentieth twentieth century. So of course he's going to be pessimistic, right? Right. But I think that helped him craft this story of good versus evil, and of course, good always triumphs. So I think it actually, like, his life experience helped him craft this fantastic tale of good and evil. Because that's basically what Lord of the Rings is. Yeah, yeah I would... I, I, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Eric, no, but just to it. hop off um, uh, what you said, Matt, because you made really good points. I think um, I, I think I said this earlier in the pod, but um, I think what uh, when Sam and Frodo, um, towards the end of the second movie... And Frodo is um, sort of called on by the the king of the Nazgul's. He just sort of like walks up and is about to hand him the ring, but Sam like tackles him away, to which like Frodo sort of snapped out of it. But he drew his sword on Sam, and he was re- like he says like I can't do this anymore. Like 
like, what's the point of this? And Sam basically had to give him the pep talk, like, even though we're constantly surrounded by, like, all this darkness and it's not fair that the ring's been thrown to you, like, it's all, this is all uh, terrible stuff, but you know what, there's some good in this world that is worth fighting for and that he wanted to fight with. So I think maybe that scene, I, I don't know what it's like in the book, but in the movie, I think that's um, that scene definitely probably captures uh, Tolkien's thoughts uh, to a T, I guess, if you will, uh, in terms of his uh, overall opinion and positivity, negativity towards, uh, towards uh, the world. Wow, well said, Justin. <laughs> I agree completely. I, I forgot about that scene. But, Some, yeah. yeah, me too, actually. You guys summed it up basically pretty well there. I agree, Matt, as well, that I think good – well, no, I don't think good does prevail in real life and in Lord of the Rings. So I think that would be my answer to the pessimistic approach in the world where I think we still see more good overcome evil in Lord of the Rings. Like there's obviously always going to be temptation in real life and in Lord of the Rings there. But it's – at the end of the day, they all overcame their vices, temptations – and became better humans or beings because of it. And that's, I think, what Tolkien was trying to get across more than maybe pessimism, but who knows? It's open to interpretation. And we got another submission, actually. Um, Andy, my girlfriend, wrote in, Why didn't the Fellowship use the eagles to fly to Mordor? I can answer that. <laughs> Set it off. Well, no, like it's if you can read online as to why, but like there's many reasons. One, why would the eagles help? Why would they risk their lives? Because they're very like isolationist people. Two, like only friends with Gandalf. Two, they would. Um, it's something with the atmosphere and like the the landscape around Mount Doom. Like they don't necessarily. Well, they would get basically they would get spotted and attacked before getting along there, the way, you know, by creatures. Mm. Yeah, like the ring, the Nazgul would attack them. Yeah, you know, they get hit by lava if they get too close because you'd have to fly over and drop the ring. They'd get incinerated getting that close. Maybe I don't know. There's just many little things like that. They do go to Mount Doom in the end though to save Frodo and Sam, but they could Once just they could have just though. dropped them off around Mount Doom and then yes, they just walk. Yes, I up agree, the but they couldn't fly over the mountain. No, 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 no. no. But I'm glad I they could, didn't yeah. because we wouldn't have had as much of a movie or movies. So. <laughs> I think I feel like I read about it somewhere online, and it it makes enough sense. It's um, I think it's because uh, Sauron, because he, he is essentially just the eye, and he's always looking. And it seems like he always has uh, he has the Nazgul's like doing his work in terms of like flying around for what he can't see. Mm. It's one of those uh, maybe hard to explain things. Maybe it's like something mystical, but it's essentially I think like they know they they would know if the eagles were coming because they're Sauron was uh, well aware of um, you know like the dwarfs and the elves and the men that were gonna oppose him. He didn't really know anything about uh, about the hobbits because essentially the hobbits were presented as like pure beings that uh, really kept to themselves. So it was I think it was it was part of um, like the act of surprise. They were trying to su uh, surprise um, or Gandalf was trying to uh, do use the element of surprise. Like what would you least expect? Uh, try to like carry such a evil force and destroy it. You know these like what child-sized beings that had never really stepped foot outside of where they lived so i, th I think uh 
definitely besides not not having a trilogy of uh, movies it's it is um it's the it was definitely the tedious option of all of them but i think it was like you can't say like why can't the in my personal opinion you can't say like well the eagles could have like dropped them off here i just feel like um excuse me uh that the, the nazgul's would have known if sauron didn't know like sauron had spies i think they even had mentioned in the movie like there were essentially there were always eyes trying to find this ring so you had to do it in a way that would disguise it from uh from sauron's uh, closest followers yeah no that's very true i didn't really think of the nazgul factor as well yeah well I'm glad it didn't happen right because like we've said wouldn't have had a trilogy and wouldn't have had this podcast as in-depth as it was so i think that's a good place to wrap it up there uh, great chatting with you guys i'm sure we could have kept going for a few more hours there but i think it's a good good spot to wrap it up there so uh justin thanks a lot for joining matt and i you're an awesome guest very knowledgeable and uh, always left us telling you well said after almost everything you said so it's a good job you're yeah uh, thanks a lot guys thanks for having me i know um Big uh, avid listener. Always try to listen to them as soon as they come out. And a uh, huge fan Appreciate of uh, both of you guys. Helped uh, help to carry me along, honestly, throughout all this too. So, uh, Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Justin, for joining us. You made amazing points during this episode. And uh, I was very happy to have you on this uh, episode. And yep. everybody, thanks for listening. And keep safe, everyone. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned. Episodes dropping every other Monday. Stay safe. And, yeah, peace.